me and make me wonder and eat at me and make me wonder. And God graciously over the years has let me in on a few things that have helped to answer some of those questions. And usually I share those with you as soon as I come across one. But I think it is really ridiculously vain of us to believe we understand God. The created, thinking that they understand the Creator. Remember, your brain's about the size of your fist. So make a fist. Look at your fist. That's all you have to work with. Actually, it's like this. That's all you have to work with if you used all of it. And we know you've blown a bunch of it up. You've wasted it by getting angry. You've killed off some brain cells. You've done all sorts of things to it that have caused it not to be awesome. And you think with this, you and I think with this, we can understand the eternal. Come on. Really? Here are the religious authorities out there saying, I got this, I got this, and I understand everything. And Jesus says, no, no. Check out my cool tie-dye shirt and my dreadlocks because I got things to say. Today we're talking about what I consider the highest, the pinnacle of Christian maturity according to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Signs of peace. Do you see the peace sign? Good. Anybody not recognize that as a peace sign? Ask, your, ask someone older than you. Peacemakers. Outstanding. Peacemakers are outstanding. Those people will be called children of God. Remember, Jesus is not saying what you read in the King James Version. This, this English translation is weak at best. It's, it may be actually a little bit fallacious at worst. That it, it paints a picture that sounds just so common and boring and ordinary. That Jesus is sitting there on the side of the mountain after climbing up and sitting down like Moses and inviting the disciples, his closest, like the elders of Jerusalem, up to sit next to him and gathering the crowd around like Moses at Mount Sinai. He begins to speak and we think he said, Blessed are those who mourn. For they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Which agree with me is how most of us read that passage. We read it like we're just going to fall asleep at any moment. That within the next seven verses, I will be into REM sleep. But remember, this is a, a Hebraic phraseology that you, you go back to, to uh, Psalm chapter 1, you'll see a very similar thing. But in the Hebraic process, in that, in that cultural understanding, Jesus is, is, is calling them in a powerful way. That's why I use the word outstanding. It's why I've used the word awesome. Because Jesus is trying to uplift this idea. And the R isn't there. So you try saying, blessed are the peacemakers, by taking R out suddenly changes everything. Blessed, the peacemakers. So it's like awesome, the peacemakers. Outstanding, the peacemakers. Peacemakers, outstanding. For they will be called children of God. Peacemakers, outstanding. 
That's more like the Hebrew. That's more like the, 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 the way Jesus would have spoken at that moment. It's just been kind of beaten down as it's gotten to English. And as it got in specifically into sort of some staid Old English varieties from, from Great Britain. It's not blessed are the peacemakers. It's outstanding. The peacemakers are awesome. Awesome. Peacemakers? Are you kidding me? Awesome. That's what this says. That's how the text should get into you. So think about Jesus now going through this list. It's building, it's building, it's building, it's growing. And as he's beginning to grow this intensity, people are starting to move closer. It's like he's restating the Ten Commandments or something. They're starting to listen a little more intently. They're like, man, no one talks like this. This guy's amazing. What's going on here? Out, out, peacemakers? Out, outstanding? Mourners? Awesome? What? Why? How? Oh, man, this is cool. Let's, let's keep listening. That's the point. That's the introduction to the sermon that takes up the next couple chapters. Jesus did not give an introduction to his sermon that was designed to put the people to sleep. He gave an introduction to his sermon that was designed to set everything they understood on their ear so he could begin to explain it to them. So I want to walk through this with you again today. Remember, this is the last one we get to really work through. But I want you to see salvation described and unfolding. Okay? In the, in the Beatitudes, and I'm only counting seven Beatitudes because the eighth one isn't actually about you. It's about other people's reaction to you. So understand that that eighth one is actually not aimed at you. It's aimed at how other people react to you. These first seven take you through a progression of the spiritual walk. Starting out with, it's awesome to recognize your spiritual poverty. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's awesome when you finally go, oh man, I am not awesome. It's awesome when you know you're not awesome. When you realize, you know, I may have my wife fooled, but everybody else, especially God knows, it ain't working for me. I'm not even sure she's fooled. It's awesome when you recognize your spiritual poverty. People like that have reservations for heaven. This is given twice. Once at the beginning, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty, who are poor in spirit, who understand not downtrodden, oh, they're sad and they're broken. No, this is, I, I realize that I'm a mess. I realize that spiritually I am, I'm going backwards. I, I'm, my bank account's upside down. Spiritually, I'm in trouble. When you get to that point... God makes a reservation for you in heaven. You know how he does that? Because he extends grace to cover everything from there forward. Once you recognize your need, grace swoops in as your covering. You can bail out from that at any point. But God keeps offering it. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. It's awesome when you recognize your spiritual poverty because people like that, people like that have reservations for heaven. People like that have reservations for heaven. Number two, it's amazing when that recognition causes mourning. Now understand that we told you this before and we talked about this. This kind of mourning is mourning that your best friend, your beloved spouse, your beloved parent has passed. This is not lightweight mourning in any way. This is serious, deep, broken mourning. This is the kind of broken-hearted mourning 
That, that causes you to go into, into weeks of sadness and sorrow. When you recognize your spiritual poverty and it breaks your heart and sends you into mourning, that's amazing because God will personally come and stand beside you and comfort you. What's cool about this is who's answering the call. Mourning isn't so awesome except that that's the next step when you realize your spiritual poverty. But to have God move into the space of your brokenness and say, I got this. I got you. I'll wrap my arms around you right now and I'll take you wherever we need to go from here. Let me walk with you from mourning to exaltation. Let me walk with you. Let me stand beside you no matter what you face and take you all the way home. Let's go. This is step one after recognizing you need him. The broken heart that comes next is how he is given, how you are giving him access to the whole of your life. Are you following this? Are you getting this? Number three, it's powerful to be humbled because of this insight. It's powerful to be humbled by the, by the realities of where you actually stand. To have a clear picture of yourself and it humbles you. It makes you meek. It breaks that pride that normally keeps you from transformation. Stop for a second and think about all the stupid things you've ever done in your life. I've got to give you a minute. Uh, is your list alphabetized? The problems and outcomes of the mess in our lives almost always began with us. Other people sometimes invade our life and create horrible problems and troubles. But if you look at most of the things that have gone off the rails in your life, the the initiating factor was in fact you. And you know what that initiating factor tends to roll around with? It rolls around with pride and self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. We stand there before God, wagging our finger like a bunch of teenagers, or two-year-olds, saying, no, I can do it. No, I can do it. We can't even say our name half the time. No, well, we do it. We're too, too young to even get who we are. And God is saying, look, let me help you out here. And it's our pride that drives us away. And God says, look, it is awesome when you recognize your spiritual poverty, when you start in that process to transform, to allow me to have opening into your life, to recognize your spiritual poverty, be broken by that, be mournful because of it. And then as a result of that, to actually get to the point where you are humbled and let me move. Because when you're humbled and you let me move, the whole earth will be your inheritance. Can you stop for a sec? Is there any possibility that you've put a ceiling on your life that God didn't put there? Is there any possibility that you've you've built a ceiling on your life that God didn't put there? That he was planning on a much greater inheritance, a much bigger impact, a kingdom blowing, a mind blowing you. And you said, no, I I, I'm not that guy. I'm not that good. I can't do that. I, you've, you've thrown out the ceiling. You've thrown out the ceiling. You've thrown out the ceiling. Some of you have blasted through it. Some of you have been experiencing life that you are not in charge of. And God is doing stuff with you that's just taking you in places you can't imagine. And you're just kind of sitting back and going, whoa, I don't understand. I can't even imagine that you would do that with me. God, I can't do that. I'm ill-equipped because of X, Y, Z. And we have a whole package of those. And God says, no, no, don't build a false ceiling over your life. Because I don't want you to limit yourself by what you think. 
But humble yourself and let me do the driving. Blessed are you when you recognize your spiritual poverty. It breaks your heart. And then you're humbled enough to let God have the keys from this point forward. The whole earth would be your inheritance if you would just let him have the keys and do the driving. He goes on. Now, 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 have I gotten your attention? Do you think he had the attention of the local folks there in Galilee that day if this was what he was saying about their walk? Do you guys realize you could have the whole earth as your inheritance if you just humble yourself? Do you guys realize if your heart was broken by your spiritual poverty, that I would come alongside and give you personal comfort? I would walk right with you? Guys, how cool would that be? Then, it is fantastic to then feel hunger for righteousness. The hunger that only God can fill, God will fill. We talk about this all the time. Even secular people talk about this. They say, there's something in me that I just can't find the filling for. I can't find the answer for. There are songs written about this. I probably mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It's that, you know, that song, Is That All There Is? Is that all there, if that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Right? The song is all about being broken, recognizing I've got a hunger for something I don't know how to fill. How many people have we seen go through the march into wealth and fame only to fall into anxiety and shame, depression, and some of them even taking their own lives? How many, how many famous and wealthy people do you see go through life-destroying action after life-destroying action, spouse after spouse, affair after affair, wastefulness after wastefulness, and what do they do? They keep coming up empty day after day after day. It's because the hunger that they're feeling can only be filled with a spiritual content, with the very content of a relationship with God. You and I know this because we felt it. Even when you've been on the path and you wander off the path, you begin to get a little hungry. When you've been been there with God, walking with God, and you wander off the path, you start to get a little hungry. You start to feel it a little bit. You start to go, you know, I, I miss my relationship with God. And that spiritual hunger can only be fed by spiritual content. God says it is amazing. It is fantastic when you finally realize the only source to supply that hunger is me. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You recognize your spiritual poverty and you arrived at hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Do you see the, do you see the movement? Do you see the spiritual movement in, in the description Jesus is laying out? Can you see that this is, a, this is the road along which the disciple travels? This is the road to salvation. It, it travels by the cover, under the covering of grace along the path with Jesus. Grace is thrown out when the very first thing happens. As soon as you recognize your spiritual poverty, he says, look, reservations for heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. It seems like it's a little out of place. It's right in the front. It should be at the end of the line, right? You get the kingdom of heaven when you get everything straightened out. Not where God is concerned. As soon as you recognize your spiritual poverty, he said, first step, you're in. I'm signing you up for the kingdom of heaven. Let's stamp your ticket and get you started. Covers you with his grace. Covers you with his mercy. Locks arms with you and says, let's go home. Let's go home. And as you walk around along the trip, you, the first steps of the trip actually dar- drive you into a recognition of who you are and who God is and how great it is when the believer, when the non-believer, when the discoverer, when the seeker starts to realize how great God is and how small he is. When I finally understand that I am broken and God is the solution, 
man, we've got somewhere. We've really gotten somewhere. And finally, finally the text starts to turn to the changes in your life. Finally the text starts to move over, switches now to the transformations of your life. It now says, it's so cool. That's what it says. It's so cool when your heart begins to be merciful because God will be merciful to you. It's so fantastic when your heart begins to be merciful. So think about it. You recognize your brokenness. You start moving along this path of, of, hump, <coughs> excuse me, of humility and hunger. And when you start moving along that path, you arrive at this place where when you started receiving mercy, when you recognize you're covered by His grace, you start seeing the need to give that grace to someone else. You start looking at other people and you realize they're just like me. They're sad, they're broken, they're hungry, and they need mercy, they need grace. And you start acting the way God acts toward you, toward someone else. You start becoming like Jesus. Because you recognize who you are, who He is, and that He's the only answer. Does this make sense to you? As Jesus is laying out the Beatitudes, he's shouting into the face of a bunch of people who believe that you are, you are won by God or you win God to your side by what you choose to do. You show up with the right sacrifice and God says, check, good job. You show up on the right date, God says, check, good job. You show up without a handkerchief and instead you have it sewn onto your sleeve and God says, check, good job. And pretty soon you get enough checkpoints and God joins your side. That's what everybody taught. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. As soon as you recognize that you're a mess and you have no help, you can't help yourself, that's when I get in the game. Jesus says, as soon as you understand your actual poverty, that's when I jump in. I cover you with my grace and my mercy, and I say, hey, you're going. You're on your way. We're sending you direct. Follow me. The end of the road here is heaven. Hmm. No wonder they killed him. If he gets his way, a system they had had in place for centuries will collapse. The prestige of the priesthood, even the value of the sanctuary, will disintegrate. There will be nothing left if this crazy tie-dye-wearing, dreadlock-wearing hippie from Galilee gets his way with his 12 little good-for-nothing hippie followers. If he gets his way, he's going to mess everything up. The world's going to be turned upside down. We'll, we'll not know up from down. We won't know what's going on. We got God figured out. We got him in a nice little sanctuary-shaped box. Don't mess with our box. And Jesus has gone up on the hillside, kicked holes in the sides of their box, and let God out. It's so cool when your heart begins to be merciful. Because you're starting to show what I have shown you. How phenomenal it is when your heart is transformed by God.
Because then you'll be able to see God. The promise in Scripture is that you have a heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. That you have a heart that's broken and deceitful and I will give you a heart of purity. You won't get that on your own. You won't develop that on your own. You won't grow it. There's no seed you can plant inside of you. You will be transformed because I will transform you. You will see the purity of the transformation in the outcomes, not in the effort. You will see the purity of the transformation in the outcomes, not in the effort. You have started to recognize the value of being merciful and graceful to others. You've begun become an actual conduit of grace on this planet where you live and a transformation of who you are will be noticed by you only in the outcome. You'll suddenly wake up one day and go, things are different. There will be changes. There will be exterior differences. There there will be changes in what happens to you, but it is actually the outcome that will bring it to your attention, not the effort. You see, everybody had taught that it's effort that matters. It's effort that matters. It's effort that matters. And Jesus says, no, I will be the one who transforms who you are. The phenomenal thing about you is that I will put a heart of flesh in you. I will change your brokenness into renewal and you will be a different person. Outstanding. The last thing. It's outstanding when you bring peace to others for you will be called God's children. You go around and you bring peace to people by your presence. You show up at things. You walk into hospital rooms and there's a sense of peace. Jesus said to the disciples, when you go into a home and they accept you in that home, let your peace settle on that home. Your peace. The peace that I give you is transportable. And you can take it into the lives of other people. You can actually be a person who brings peace into someone else's life. You can be a representative of not only mercy, but you can be a conveyor of peace. Your very presence can be a blessing to someone else. Have you, ever, have you gotten to that point? Have you ever experienced this? This is, this is spiritual maturity level. Where you walk in and people in the room just quiet a little. Jesus says, you know what spiritual maturity looks like? You start showing up around people's houses and people's places and you carry peace with you. That's, that's, that's discipleship level 10 or 7 in this case. So I want to ask you the big question. I'm going to give you a little time. There's going to be a song playing. That's how much time. I want you to listen through the whole song and I want you to to consider and pray and ask simply, if this is the description of a disciple's walk, where are you right now? I don't mean this week. I mean today, right now, as you're sitting there in the seat. Where are you right now? If you were to look at this as the description of your discipleship walk, Where are you right now? And I know my discipleship walk goes back and forth on this list. There are days when I am certain that my effort is what matters. There are days when I am out there thinking that I am not spiritually poor, I am spiritually in charge. 
usually end up stumbling stumbling into the mud somewhere and recognizing the reality about that. So as a song plays for the next two or three minutes, would you take some time with God and figure this out? They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing back. Stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now. Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be.
No matter what the self-diagnosis, the reality is the covering of His grace is still available. No matter where you find yourself when you look at that list, you are not out of His reach. And He is not surprised. You didn't knock God off His moorings by some bad decision this week. You didn't change what he knows about you and how he feels about you. And he offers the same relationship today that he offered yesterday. The peace that he's offering. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now that we know that we are covered, now that we understand the blanket of His mercy, we breathe that sigh of relief. We'll let go of some of that angst, that enmity that has been there between us and God is swept away. And in that moment, our relationship draws close and we experience peace. This is not the peace of a change of circumstance. This is the peace of a change of heart. This is not the peace that means there's an absence of trouble or conflict or war. This is the peace that comes over in spite of trouble or conflict or war. This is the peace that is passing understanding. This is the ultimate reflection of what it means to walk with Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. We mistake this if we think the peace sign encapsulates it. Because the peace sign doesn't go far enough. It's the peaceful heart that encapsulates it. It's the person who could know that today is the day that the doctors have said it's time to unplug the machines. And they could lie there on their bed at peace in spite of that news because they know they're in the hands of Jesus. It's the peace that extends into your life despite the fact that the place is burning down around you. It's the peace of the person whose house has collapsed, who everything is gone and lost, and they can still say, all of those things are things. I still have Jesus. It's a peace that people who don't have a relationship with God cannot understand. But it's a peace 
that you can offer. It's the peace that the believer gets to extend into the life of the broken. We live in the most anti-Christian world that any American has ever lived in. We live in a place when the pushback against Christianity is everywhere. Because we have packaged Christianity up like some kind of practice set. We have packaged it as a do this and a do that and a do this and a do that and you'll be okay. And oh, by the way, if you miss one of the steps, God's going to burn you in hell forever. Sorry. And we wonder why people are mad at us. That's not what we've been called to do or to be in our culture. We're called to be the people who bring peace into a room by our very presence. Who know the peace of God in such a way that it just exudes in the things we type on Facebook. It just comes out when when we're sitting at a meal with our friends, secular or religious. It just overwhelms a room. Imagine what it, what it would be if we, like the disciples, could walk into a room and let our peace settle on it. That's the pinnacle of spirituality. That's the height of the call to discipleship. When Jesus gets to point number seven, he lays out the top, the highest of the calling. And he says, this is where... I'd like you to arrive. When these other things happen, when you begin to be merciful and when you allow me to transform your broken heart into a pure heart, you'll begin to bring peace into the people's lives you contact. You'll begin to bring peace into the world around you, into your job, into the grocery store, into your office, into the lives of your children, into the lives of your parents. Because I am, in fact, the Prince of Peace in a world at war. Let's pray. Father, we understand that we are desperately far away from what you have. And without the covering of your grace and mercy... We're barely more than an embarrassment. We pray not only for the covering, we pray for the transformation. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us up so that we look more like you than us that our employees see it, that our boss sees it, that our customers see it, that our family sees it, that the person we walk with and talk with and spend time with every day sees it, that our spouse is just overwhelmed because we've changed. We pray for a heart transformation. that will reach into every aspect of our life. And that at the end of the day, we'll be more like Jesus than we are right now. 
Jesus' name we pray.